Father, we've come to the time in this service when we open the book of life and we hear what the Spirit has to say because your Spirit is the unction that we receive from the Holy One. We need you just now, O Lord, to touch our hearts, make our minds attentive, give us clarity, O Lord, that we may be focused on what your Word has to say to us. Touch us this morning with the presence of the Holy One, in Jesus' name, amen. The original gift of God stems from the golden text of the Bible. All of you can say it. You learned it in probably vacation Bible school when you were a child. For God so loved the world that he gave. Loving and giving is tied together. One pastor said you can't love without giving and you can't give without loving. The Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next verse that the seminary professor said, always quote along with the other, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God so loved that he gave his son. And that's the original gift. And that's the impetus for all that we say and all that we do in Christendom, we do it with that in mind, that God intervened into our crisis situation. Our condition was lost, having no hope, without God in the world. And God, who is rich in mercy, wow, rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses and in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. Now the one thing that death needs is to be quickened because the word quicken means to be made alive. And you who were dead have been made alive and have been Quickened together with Christ. When was Jesus Christ quickened? Those three days when he was in the tomb. Praise the Lord. On that great Easter Sunday morning that we'll celebrate in about three more months. The song says the great getting up morning. That first day of the week when the women went to the tomb and an angel said he's not here. He has risen. That quickening power that raised up Jesus from the dead, we also, he said, have been quickened with that self-same spirit that abides in us. That we who were dead in sin, Ephesians 1, hath he quickened. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. Or you who, hath, who were dead hath been made alive with Christ. You mean the same spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead was active in salvation in our souls. In fact, Romans 8 and 11 says, For if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus be in you, then he that raised up Christ shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. 
So the spirit that was active on Easter Sunday morning is active in all of our lives, keeping us, making us alive through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. You are alive unto Christ, dead unto sin, but alive to Christ. Dead in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. Wow, what a great connotation that is. And the gift of God is what initiated every bit of this great, great enterprise that we call redemption. Redemption. Are you redeemed? Kind of that lethargic, yeah. Are you redeemed? Oh, how do you know you're redeemed? Oh, now we've got to another, another portion of the equation, haven't we? The Bible said, in him, 1 John 3 and 5, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. You mean, pastor, you can know that you're saved? Are you telling me that you can know? Do you have a no-so salvation? Is there anybody in this house that know you're saved? How do you know that you're saved? Because you have trusted the fact that God gave his son and his son gave his life and that became propitiation or payment in full for the sin that was in your life. And that's the gift of God. It's actually called the unspeakable gift. Wow. An unspeakable gift. What that means is there are not words in the English language to describe the depth and the breadth and the height of God's redemptive activity in the person of Jesus. English won't work. Not enough words. No descriptive terms that can do justice to the redemptive activity of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 for by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So then salvation is a gift. The wonderful acceptance of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross is a gift that God gives to us that has great ramifications. Have you ever got a gift that meant a lot of good things to you? Say someone gave you a car. Lord, look at the wonderful things attached to that. I don't have to walk. I'm not bound to a certain place. It's a blessing to me because I can go faster to where I need to go. Boy, you can just think of all kind of blessings that go along with a gift if someone gave you a car. Wow. When God gave us Jesus, boy, look at all of the different benefits and blessings that are accrued to us because God gave us a great gift. In fact, it's called the perfect gift because every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights. But salvation 
It's such an eminently overwhelming gift that English and no other language can ever describe the fullness of the blessing and the benefit of what God gave to us in the person of Jesus. No theologian, and I have sat and listened to some great ones. I've read the works of Neumeyer and of Karl Barth and of great expositors like A.T. Robertson and Vincent and Wiest and A.W. Pink and all great, great expositors of Scripture. But all of them are eminent and highly respected men, but none of them has ever written a work that can fully describe the redemptive worth of what Jesus is to us. In, the, in fact, it's called an unspeakable gift. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. When Paul was praising the Corinthian church because of their benevolence, I often say to you that I really appreciate all of you because this is a generous church. This is a very, very kind and benevolent and compassionate church. You give to everything, to missionaries, to feeding uh, poor families. You do everything in the name of compassion. And compassion is a wonderful gift to have. It's a blessing of God that you have compassion. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's telling them how wonderful it is that they give liberally, but for some reason, they had been a little bit slow to give at this particular time and he'd written to them and said, hey, you need to become active in what God has gifted you with. You need to start practicing the gift. You've done it before and you need to get busy doing it again. And he was talking about all the wonderful things they did and then he just simply said, but thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. While he was talking about what the value of what they had given was, and he was talking about how wonderful it was that they were a magnanimous church. Magnanimous means kind and loving and giving. It gets misquoted sometimes because people think it means huge. It would be used inappropriately to say this is a magnanimous building. Well, magnanimous sounds like you're talking about big, huge. But magnanimous is a word that means kind and benevolent. Isn't it good that when you talk about God's virtues and God's attributes, you use terms that resemble big things because God's grace is big. God's love is big. God's forgiving power is big. God's redeeming power, forgiving power is big. Everything about God is big. So when that church was talking about what all they did and Paul was telling them how, how good it was that they, that they were a giving church and, and generous and then he said, and while I'm talking to you about that, I need to tell you there's something we need to say. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Thank you God for something I really can't describe. Thank you God for something that I can't fathom. Thank you, God, for something that is way beyond my capacity to understand. The love of God is so infinitely incomprehensible that no human being can ever comprehend the love of God. 
Can you believe that God loves everybody on this planet right now? That no matter what their plight, no matter what their nationality, no matter what their status in life, no matter what their wealth or poverty is, God loves every person on this earth the same. Hold it. Pastor, I pay my tithes in this church. I've been paying tithes since I was a kid. My mom and dad taught me to pay tithes on my paper route when I was a kid. I used to put 50 cents in the tithe envelope. I know, I know several of you did that when you were children. And you're telling me that God doesn't love me any more than he loves somebody that's never given a dime? That's right. But wait a minute, Pastor, I've made it a, a practice to pray every day of my life from 9 to 10 o'clock. And since I was a little girl, always, I have always prayed that hour. I have always, my whole life, been a person of prayer and been so diligent and I've stuck to that. It's been the practice of my life. And you're telling me God doesn't love me any more than he loves someone who never utters a prayer? I think I'm offending some people. Because that doesn't sound fair, does it? Because our understanding is so obscured by a dark lens through which we look that we can't understand those kind of things. How God could love everybody. How a pastor or a preacher could serve the Lord and preach thousands of sermons and come down to pass and, and the place be packed out with people that came to honor his memory. But at the same time, if a man in a dying condition who had been a miserable wretch his whole life and never darkened the door of a church and never said a kind word about God, said in his final breath, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, that God loves him the same as he does the man who spent his whole life preaching the word, hard to understand that God would love someone who is so heinous as to commit murder and do all kind of atrocities and God still loves him. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all, all, somebody say all, all, but that all should come to repentance. That scripture states unequivocally that God is not pleased when one person rejects and doesn't receive the Lord Jesus. In fact, he said in Ezekiel 11 and 33, for I find no pleasure in the death of the wicked. As surely as I live, saith the Lord, I find no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is pleased. You know, when people rejoice and when people are saved, when people turn and are transformed to become new creatures in Christ Jesus, but he has no pleasure in a person being lost and going to hell. God loves everybody and forgives unto the uttermost the sins of the whole world. Romans 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just take those words or those little letters and let's use them for the next few minutes. I won't be long, I promise. The first one is G. The gift of God is that somebody preached a gospel that reached you. A gospel. Somebody shared a gospel. Somehow you learned about Jesus. You're in good company because the Bible said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're in good company because Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel. Preaching the gospel. The Bible says it hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But unto we which are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the message being preached is a wonderful gift that God has given to this world. And the Bible says in the last days there would be a famine. Not of preaching it, but a famine of hearing the gospel. We all know as we look around us, there's not a famine of preaching it. You can turn your radio on as soon as you leave this building and turn maybe two or three clicks until you'll get a gospel station that preaches 24-7 a gospel message. You can turn your television on and you'll find seven or eight channels that's dedicated totally to preachers preaching the gospel. There's no famine of, of gospel being preached. The famine is in hearing the word of God. Because you know what I believe? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. Boy, what that says to us is that if the gospel light ever shines on someone, then they will be saved. Then the real objective is that our adversary, our enemy of our souls, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Oh, it must be terribly, terribly awful to be physically blind. It must be terribly troublesome to be blind but to be minded and be blind in our, our mind in other words that light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus has never shined in our heart and that's because an adversary has blinded us to that truth no wonder Jesus said for us to come out of the dark places and into his marvelous light. To come out of that, that kingdom of the power of darkness and be translated into the kingdom of his dear son. It's the gift that God gives to us that the gospel be preached. For if the gospel be not preached, the Bible says, how shall they hear except somebody preach? And how shall he preach except he be sent? The gospel is so important in the economy of God that he says it's the number one priority and we should spend our time getting that word out. You see, when we furnish people with statements of, of giving at the end of the year, 
we talk about, we, we've got records of how much you gave in January, February, March, April, May, and we give you your statement so you can claim it as a deduction on your income tax. We're able to do that, but when I say salvation and the gift of God, how are we going to give him a statement? Lord, it's the end of the year. It's time for us to look back over totals in giving and we give everybody in this church a statement of your tithe and your offering during the year. God, how are we going to get a statement to you? You gave so good to the church. You were number one giver, God, to the church. We need to get you a statement. But we can't calculate it. Oh, our bookkeeper has a degree and teaches school, but he can't write a statement telling how good God is. Woo. You'll get this in a minute. We can calculate Cindy's giving for the year. We can't calculate God's giving to us. We can calculate Martha's giving during the year. We just can't get that statement for God because it's unspeakable. It, it, we, we, we just can't calculate. We can punch all the keys and run into the trillions and the jillions and tentillions, but we'll never, ever reach the total amount of God's giving. It's not possible. It's unspeakable. It's past finding out. It's an unspeakable gift. We can never speak loud enough or long enough to talk about the goodness of God's gift to us and we can never estimate it. An insane man after he had died and had left his padded cell, there was found on the wall these verses and you'll recognize it as a song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made. Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever more endure the saints and angels' song. Wow, that God loves us and his gospel of grace has been so preached to us that we all are the benefactors of the gospel as the gift of God. Second letter is I. And you know what that means? That means nobody can bear the burden of salvation for me but me. No one... <laughs> I can tell Debbie and she tells me, hey, go buy so-and-so and pick up my gift. I've got a gift. They're wrapping it. They should have it ready. When you get back there, if you'll just pick it up for me. Well, hey, nobody can pick up salvation for you. God has a gift that he has for you, and it's got your name on it, but nobody else can go claim that but you. It is for you and for you alone, and no one else can make that effort to embrace it and possess it and own it, you have to do that yourself. And salvation is so individualized 
that there is no substitute. No one can take your place. What wonderful peace God gives to us when we accept that free gift that came upon all men. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by one man's offense, the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. Wow, what a great verse that is. What that tells me is that by one man, Adam, sin entered into all the world and death by sin. But by one man's obedience, by one man's transgression, sin entered. But by one man's obedience, wow, this gift was offered to every one of us. And that right standing with God that we call righteousness, right standing was accomplished because of this gift. In fact, in Romans 5 and 1, the Bible tells us, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, because of the enmity that was between ourselves and God, the Bible in Romans says, for if when we were enemies... If when we were estranged from God, if when we were away from God, if when we were rebellious, and if when we were disobedient, if when we were sinners, if when we were dead, by that disobedience of one, we inherited from Adam that natural sin, that inherent sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together with Christ and hath made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding richness of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God for we are his workmanship. Is God working on you? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that ye should walk in them. So by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. Peace with God. There's two edges to this sword. Number one is peace with God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. The peace of God, that gift of peace, passes all understanding. We just keep on running to things that are unexplainable, don't we? And we keep in this conversation talking about things that we're limited in our comprehension. We can't understand His love, we can't understand His peace. We can't understand his mercy. So we're just kind of limited in what we can think with our finite minds about an infinite God. That his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And I have peace with God because one man took upon himself the sins of the whole world. Not only is there the peace with God, there's the peace of God. The peace of God passes all understanding. Listen to this. And it shall keep your hearts. Yeah. 
This is the benefit of it. The peace of God shall keep your heart. Shall keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Romans 5 and 1, being justified by faith, we have that peace with God. And I want to tell you something. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. I said peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. Micah chapter 5 Verse two, he tells us, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. And in Micah five and five, he said, this man shall be for your peace. The one that's born in Bethlehem's manger, the one that will be a ruler over my people, he is the one that will be for your peace. I personally must receive that gracious gift of God, that peace. Chapter 2 in Ephesians says this, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ, ye who sometimes were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Somebody say amen. He is our peace who hath made both of us into one and hath broken down, torn to pieces, the middle wall of partition that was between us, abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments and ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. F is for forgiveness. Forgiveness. When the angel appeared to Joseph, he told Joseph, God is at work. God is at work. Don't you be afraid to take unto you Mary. Take her for your wife. Well, there's a problem with that, angel. She's pregnant. And I'm not the father. No, you're not the father because God is at work. God is at work. Don't be afraid to take her unto yourself as your wife because that work that is being done in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't ever be afraid of what God is doing in somebody's life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever balk and halt when God is doing something in someone's life by the energy of the Holy Spirit. He said, don't be afraid to take unto thee Mary. That holy thing which is in her is of the Holy Ghost. And Matthew 1:21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Forgiveness of sin is one of the great attributes of our atoning gift that God has given to us. Luke 2 and 10, And the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, a Savior that saves from sin. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, the early church preached this message about forgiveness of sin. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness 
of sins. Acts 13, 38, be it known unto thee therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sin. Colossians 1, 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Aren't you glad God forgives sin? As far removed as darkness is from light, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know, I tell some folks sometimes, Miss Stenson, that when they pray and say, God, don't you remember how mean I was? And God says, no, I don't remember that. But God, don't you know how I was a drunkard and mistreated my family? And God says, no, I don't remember that. But God, don't you remember how, how mean I was and how I was a, a thief and stole and acted so sorry? And God says, no, I don't really remember that. God said, I will remember their transgressions no more. We sing that old song, In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. You remember that? And that's the truth. Those sins are cast from us, and thank God he remembers them no more. T. What is the T of the gift? How about this? Transformation. Transformation. Thanks to Calvary, there's been a transformation. Thanks to God's gift, there's been a transformation. Is anybody in this house transformed? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. when giving that long list of people that would not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, what a long list. And look at that next verse, verse 11. And all such were some of you. Boy, I sure would shudder to think my name was on that list I just read out, wouldn't you? And he just boldly says, people who do these things aren't going to heaven. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he looks out at the congregation and said, and your name was once on that list. You were once in that crowd. That was once a description of you. Of such were some of you. Notice the word. But you were washed. And I'm not talking about soap and water. I hope you did that before you came today or the folks around you might be a little offended. But thanks be to God, I hope you are washed in another way. Washed by what? Washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because sin is filthy and sin is nasty and sin is dark and, and sin is dirty and sin is deplorable and God hates sin. Loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And there's only one thing that can eradicate sin 
and loose you and free you and set you free and transform you. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. What can wash away my sin? Your answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I'll exchange it someday for a crown. At the cross. At the cross. God forbid that I should glory in anything else save this one thing. What was that? I've laid my hands on people and they were healed. God forbid that I should glory save in this one thing. I raised a man from the dead named Eutychus who fell from a second story window. God forbid that I should glory save in this one thing, that great light. I had a personal conversation with Jesus and he said, I am Jesus. No, he said, God forbid that I should glory in anything. Even shaking the snake off of his hand into the fire. God forbid that I should glory in that. There's only one thing that I glory in, he said. And that's one day at a cross. I prostrated myself at the foot of that cross. And I accepted the sacrifice on that cross for the sin in my life. And he washed me. And he washed me. And that became his testimony to everyone. When he appeared before Felix and Drusilla, the Roman magistrates, they said, how it brings you into this courtroom today condemned. And he said, I was on my way to Damascus. And a bright light shined down upon me. And one spoke to me who called him same, his name Jesus. And he told me that he had a work for me to do. Felix said, said, I'll hear you again concerning this matter. He came into the courtroom of Agrippa. Agrippa said, what brings you into this courtroom? He said, I was on my way to Damascus. Had a bright light shine down upon me. And I had a conversation with one who said he was Jesus. And he said, I've got a work for you to do. And I went into Damascus and went to the street called Straight. And one Ananias prayed for me and the scales fell from my eyes. And I received the Spirit of God and I've preached His Word ever since. When questioned before the Roman government, you know you're a prisoner. You've been transported to Rome. What do you offer in defense? He said, I was on my way to Damascus. God forbid that I should glory. God forbid that I should have any other story to tell. God forbid that I should tell you any other thing that I one time was lost, but now I'm found. I once was a sinner, but I got saved by grace. I once was on a road to hell, but today I'm redeemed and I'm on my way to heaven. That's the only thing I glory in. Stand with me, please. So this Christmas, I hope you realize that the greatest gift is not the big car that I talked about. 
You see that commercial where that guy keeps looking out the window? Debbie said, you can look out that window all you want to. You can sing jingle bells and dashing through the snow, but you won't find a new car in the parking lot on Christmas. But I want to tell you there's something you can find, and it's free. It doesn't have a price tag. You don't buy it at Macy's. You can't exchange it for something else at Walmart. It's free. And it's got your name on it. And it's for you. And it would be the greatest gift that anybody has ever given anybody for Christmas. And that's the gift of God's grace and the gift of God's love and the gift of His forgiveness and the gift of transformation. You can be changed. You mean I can be changed? Yes, you can be changed. And for all who will ever listen to this message online, I want you to know as you're listening online, you can be changed by the grace of God. I want to pray a prayer with you. Stretch your hand toward me. God, in Jesus' name, I pray for this congregation that you call Harvest Church. God, you have been so wonderful to us for over a hundred Christmases. You've blessed us, supplied needs, and brought us to this time in history, and you're telling us that our future is greater than our past. We ask you, O oh God, this Christmas season to touch us with safety. May we have traveling mercy. May we enjoy great times with our friends and our families. May we enjoy the season to be merry and the season to be joyous. But help us to remember the unspeakable gift, the unexplainable love, and the grace that was given to us in the person of the Son, Jesus. May this Christmas, Lord, be bright. And may this Christmas be a, a wonderful blessing to all of your people because we have received the gift and we have experienced its benefits. Go with us now, O oh Lord, throughout this day and this Christmas season and give us joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Shake hands and be friendly. Be friendly whether you shake hands or not. You have a great, great day in Christ today.